In a city like Los Angeles that is synonymous with traffic, there is no shortage of data points on cars that can be used to help make policy. But what about more active modes of transportation that can help address congestion and climate goals? You'll hear what Julia Campbell of Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti's office is doing to address that problem, coming up next on the Movement Podcast. Let's go. The freedom of movement to access jobs, education, and social activities is a fundamental human right. But that freedom is not distributed equitably, undermining our ability to create vibrant and sustainable communities for all. Welcome to The Movement, where we talk with the leaders who are reshaping their communities with brave decisions, inspired advocacy, and a stubborn unwillingness to accept the status quo, all in an effort to inspire the next generation of leaders. Here's your host, Josh Cohen. Before we introduce today's guest, I want to introduce you to a special guest co-host. A couple months ago, you met my colleague Ashley Schultz when we interviewed Dan Reed. And then last month, you got to meet my colleague Danny McFall when we talked to Joe Regeer. And this month, we welcome my colleague Austin Stanion, Translokes Manager of Solution Engineering, to the Movement Podcast. Welcome, Austin. Thank you so much, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, longtime listener, first-time co-host. Uh, yeah, so I've been working here at Transloke about a year and a half. Uh, and before that, uh, I actually uh, did a stint in the mayor's office of Los Angeles and LA Metro, um, and you'll you'll hear more about those organizations from our guests today. Uh, but yeah, just very very excited to be a part of the movement and get this conversation going. Well, thank you so much, and and in fact, you helped introduce us to today's guest, Julia Campbell. So uh, Julia is a transportation manager for the office of Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. Uh, she is a civil engineer and a planner by training. I guess you might call that a plan engineer. Is that right, Julia? That's right. You could call me a plan engineer. <laughs> plan engineer. All right. So uh, prior to prior to her current role, Julia was the transportation planning manager for LA Metro. So welcome to the movement, Julia. Thank you so much. It's good to be here this morning. Um, so yes, thank you for the intro. I'm Julia Campbell, and I currently and for almost the last three years have worked for Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. Um, I'm on a team where we uh, basically help provide the policy analysis and background for the mayor um, as he oversees as the executive uh, chief executive of the city of Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, and as a board member, actually, um, as a legislator on the Metro Board in, for L.A. County. Very cool. So let's let's keep digging there, because. I think not too many kids grow up thinking, I want to be the mayor of LA's transportation advisor. Uh, so what what is your mobility story? Uh, mobility touches our lives in so many ways, but how did you actually find yourself working in transportation and, and just being interested in these modes? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, almost nobody grows up thinking, wow, I want to work in transportation. Like most kids have absolutely no idea uh, that this is you know, a pathway, uh, that it's a career. I think I first became aware of transportation, um, you know, planning and engineering just in general when I was in college. Um, so I went, you know, I was a civil engineering student and they start showing you like, uh, where can you get a job? And one of the jobs that just like continuously had the highest salaries, I remember, was the transportation planning and engineering field. Um, so that was like the first time I noticed it. Um, and, you know, I, it still took me like 10 years before I actually like became a transportation planning and engineering professional. But I remember that was the first time it like entered my consciousness. 
but the great thing about transportation is that everybody lives it, right? Everybody's got an opinion about transportation because everybody's got to use it. It's the thing that you got to do to go get food, to go to your job, to meet your family. Um, everybody has some sort of personal experience about transportation. Um, so to answer your question, like, what's my mobility story? Uh, I grew up in West LA mostly, um, also in a little bit of Ventura County, uh, which is our neighboring county. And I grew up, um, I think, relatively car light for an Angelino. Um, but both of my parents had like a lot of car in their life. So, um, you know, my my daily um, after school routine sometimes would be like take the bus to go, you know, hang out with my mom at her job and like bother her and all her coworkers in Santa Monica. So as, you know, like an elementary school kid, I was riding the big blue bus um, in mm. West L.A., and walking along Sunset Boulevard where we lived with my friends and like going to the corner store after school. So there was a fair amount of walking and busing. Um, and then in, I think it was junior high, I began like riding a bike to school. So that was my first commuting by bike experience. It was like in junior high in a suburban setting, which was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think I started forming some of these opinions um, as everyone does through firsthand experience, um, even as a kid. But yeah, I didn't. I did not find transportation as a profession until I think when most of us do, which is you know like halfway through your first job or something like that. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the the experience around moving around Los Angeles as as a kid at that time versus moving around Los Angeles now. Does it feel similar is it is it vastly different obviously the city and the transportation system itself has changed dramatically yeah i feel like we are building an entirely different los angeles you know from the one that i grew up in um i you know kind of was a kid in the late 80s early 90s and remember you know just that being kind of like the epitome of you know like just urban life and traffic was the worst. Smog was terrible. Um, You know, this was, you know, LA just really being its best self in that way, which was not great for livability and for quality of life for a lot of people. Um, And transportation wise, um, really lacking in choices. You know, I, you know, so my parents, my mom became a super commuter at one point for a few years. Um, when I was in high define school, that, define that for folks who maybe aren't 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 familiar with that. Oh, sure, yeah. So a super commuter is somebody who has like the really longest commutes. Um, so her commute, I think, was about an hour to often an hour and a half each way wow. in a car, um, going from like the Thousand Oaks area to West LA in a car, um, and and that wasn't like the only one. Like one of my best friends, her dad has been a super commuter basically his whole adult life. He just retired like a couple of months ago, uh, but had, you know, hour and a half to two, com- two hour commutes, like for 35 years. And <laughs> it just shouldn't be acceptable for everybody's life because it's so much time in a car. So that was, you know, another firsthand experience of my mom uh, for maybe about five years, um, lived in a place where she had to drive that far. Um, and ironically, my dad was a car salesman. So there was a lot of car. And that was, I felt like car was very present um, in my life at that time. And that was one of the reasons I think that when it came time to go to college, I was like ready to go. I was like, yep, time to get a far, as far away from Los Angeles as possible. Let's go. 
So I went to school in the Bay Area, worked in the Bay Area for a few years, and then decided I needed to go to grad school. And when it came time to look at schools, I was like, oh, I don't want to go home to L.A. Yeah, that's that's I, I left that already. But what had started to happen at that time is the city had already started to change. So this is right around 2010. And, you know, we had already passed Measure R in Los Angeles County, and that's one of our half cent sales taxes that's dedicated to transportation infrastructure. And you could already start to feel the difference. So there was a little hope, there was a little spark. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, I'll, I'll see what it's like. I'll, I'll go to UCLA for my grad school and we'll, we'll just see. And then, you know, I can leave in two years, it's fine. But what happened was as soon as I got into grad school, it, Los Angeles was just clearly this amazing laboratory of what is happening in transportation. And I remember distinctly, and I will continue to remember a conversation that I had with some students at uh, Georgia Tech I was actually considering going into a PhD program at one point. And I went and go, you know, go visit, go meet everybody, uh, talk to these students at Georgia Tech. And all they could do was keep asking me questions about what was happening in Los Angeles. And that was when I was like, okay, never mind. Like, I, I can't leave LA right now. This is, you know, there's too much going on. This is definitely a time of change and formation. So, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Yeah. It's, yeah, it's been about 10 years since I came back. And I feel well, like that uh, pace has only accelerated as far as the, the the transportation. You know, you mentioned that laboratory of, of what's going on in transportation. I feel like that pace has only continued, maybe even faster. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Right. So, you know, Measure R happened in uh, 2008. We passed another uh, countywide sales tax measure in 2016. We now have... Um, you know, these vast sums of public money to be spent on transportation. Um, and those are just the two most recent. We still have um, Prop A and Prop C uh, from decades earlier that are also funding our transportation. And we have this huge will um, in L.A. County to really just make drastic change, um, in part because our traffic is so awful. And that's something that everybody experiences on an almost daily basis. Um, there's a very strong desire for something different. And that continues to fuel, um, you know, the the money that keeps flowing, and the projects that keep getting built. Yeah. So let's let's fast forward to something different. Uh, what's what's going on today? Um, I saw in the news recently uh, new BRT lines coming in downtown. I know uh, over the past few years, like it must have been released a year or so ago. Uh, the next gen bus plan out of Metro was uh, sort of revolutionary, not only uh, in in kind of the way they conducted the study, but also in, in the way they used data. Um, so I'm curious if, if you could touch on sort of not only kind of the exciting new things that are happening in Los Angeles, but the, the methods behind that. How is LA using data in new ways to shape the future? Yeah, it's a really exciting subject. And yeah, just to give a little bit of background before we dive into that, um, you know, Los Angeles does have the largest public works program or, you know, slate of projects in the country, basically. Um, we have several, you know, rail lines under construction at any moment. We have had that situation for the last five to 10 years. We're going to continue to have that situation for many decades to come. 
but the work that I focus on a lot is actually not these mega pro projects. I mean, I do work on them from time to time in the mayor's office, but um, what I find the most interesting is the city fabric changing around those projects. Um, and that is what you're, you're talking about of bus lanes, bike lanes, making streets more safe, making streets more people oriented and more able to um, you know, feed into the billions of dollars of transit system that we're building across this whole county. So yes, uh, you're asking about what's going on in LA right now in terms of bike lanes, bus lanes. And yes, last week we cut a ribbon on um, a pair of bus lanes through downtown LA going on Grand and Olive. Um, these are a north-south couplet. And what that is from is actually from Metro's next-gen bus plan, which was adopted in 2020. The Metro board approved this plan, but it had been in the works for years. And so, yeah, you're talking about, like, what data are we using? What are we doing differently? This team at Metro, led by Conan Chung and their consultant, Cambridge Systematics, they did just this wonderful job of actually using big data to analyze travel patterns regardless of mode across the entire county of Los Angeles and tailored uh, this new bus system to actual travel demand, no matter how you were traveling. Um, so trying to actually chase market share, uh, which is you know kind of a new thing for bus. I don't think that that's anything that Metro had tried before. And kind of what we're seeing now is all of these cities across the United States are following Metro's lead. We've just you know had a lot of phone calls with other cities uh, DC, Dallas, um, you know, a number of them that are kind of doing a similar thing now uh, because it was really groundbreaking. It was really different. So what this plan did is it created basically a new bus pattern that was a little tighter in the center and a little, um, you know, didn't go out as far on the edges and then really focused on increasing frequency and reliability. Those were the two things that um, they really, really, really noticed made a difference, not only in operations, but also in user experience, where one of the reasons, strong reasons that people might not use transit is uh, if you never know when your bus is going to show up. We've all had that moment mm -hmm. of, oh, I'll try the bus today. And then you go wait by the bus stop and it doesn't show up or it doesn't show up when it says it's going to show up. And, you know, it's it's a really frustrating experience and it can be one of the things that turn people away from using transit again. So in that experience of, of learning, okay, like these are what our uh, you know, users want from a system, both in terms of like a daily experience and where they want to go, Metro decided that it was going to invest infrastructure dollars in bus lanes as part of this plan. And so they basically created 25 corridors across LA County. Most of them are in the city of Los Angeles, but not all of them. And they said, you know what, if we look at a five-year cost life cycle, we would actually spend the same amount of money and have a better user experience if we took some of the dollars that our buses would otherwise be eating up sitting in traffic and take some of those dollars, move it up in time. So instead of you know, spending all of this money over five years of buses going slowly and more labor and more, more wear and tear on bus, let's actually build some bus lanes. Um, in year one and year two. And that will allow the buses to move faster. It'll allow us to move more people. People won't be so frustrated and they will take the system more. So this is kind of a theory that we are all working on together. And so my role in the mayor's office has been to kind of bring together Metro and the city of Los Angeles um, to do that, to build these bus lanes, um, you know, kind of 
one one piece at a time. Um, so Grand and Olive are um, just the latest, but they're actually not the first. Uh, we started with fifth and sixth in the middle of the pandemic. It was uh, one of the very first pieces of infrastructure that we had any excitement about deep in the pandemic when you know life seemed, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen from one day to the next, but we said, you know what, at least we've got these bus lanes. Like we did that. And both fifth and sixth and grand and olive are two different couplets. Um, so again, grand and olive, north, south, fifth and sixth, east, west. And um, they also have bike lanes on these streets as well. And so what that also entailed was coordinating repaving of the streets that we were also kind of changing the whole way we did repaving during the pandemic, kind of in a data centric way as well. Uh, we, we've had to like re look at how we looked at paving as a city because uh, during the pandemic, we had told everybody to stay home and we were regularly paving a lot of residential streets. So it wasn't long before the city figured out uh, we can't do that during the pandemic because, you know, we're going to have to tow everybody's car on these residential streets. So our, our Bureau of Street Services called Streets LA um, had to completely change their approach to paving during the pandemic. And they came up with this program called the ADAPT program, which is actually an acronym that I don't remember what it means. Um, but <laughs> uh, the ADAPT program focused all of the paving on commercial corridors and places that they didn't have to tow residents' cars. And that was one of the reasons that we were able to focus a lot of paving effort in downtown to do these bus and bike lane projects all at once. Um, it's a lot of paving in one place that we as a city might not usually do. So that was, you know, a change that we were able to kind of capitalize on to realize Metro's plan. It sounds like that that would be the type of project that getting the coordination would be really challenging. I mean, you've got Obviously, the mayor's office, you have LA Metro, you have the business owners, you have the bicycle community and so forth. How did you engage or, or, or work within to kind of help get alignment on how to move forward on that? Yeah, that's, that's where the hard work is, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we kind of started in the place of, um, you know, Metro was the, the owner of this plan, this countywide plan. And if you look at the map... Um, there's a lot of it in LA. And so we kind of right off the bat knew that we were going to have to be the first partner to come to the table. Um, and in the city of Los Angeles, you know, our own plans support and mirror uh, the goals of the Metro Next Gen Bus Plan. So um, we didn't have to do too much convincing on our city side um, to get our departments excited, um, thankfully, um, that this is something that would benefit them and also help them reach their goals. So LADOT's Mobility 2035 plan um, is, you know, the city's mobility element to our general plan. That had already laid out um, kind of the same, same principles and same goals of adding bus lanes along with, you know, basically incrementally continuing to change our city to be more multimodal and less mm -hmm. car centric. And our um, Green New Deal is also really supportive as well. And um, the Green New Deal was adopted, I think, um, like February 2020. And so it had actually benefited from being written around the same time as Metro's Next Gen Bus Plan. So we had already kind of picked up some of the same points and put them in both plans. So they referenced each other. We had that policy alignment between the city and Metro already. Um, so yes, then comes our job, which is to get everybody in a room. Um, this was before the pandemic. So it was physical rooms 
big tables, you know, 20 people at a table um, and working out a process of how we were going to do this. Um, and that is where our team really, you know, had to lead the way in figuring out, okay, here's Metro's development process for a bus lane. They have outreach teams, which is really great. Um, Metro has these resources that the city doesn't have in some things like having outreach teams, dedicated staff, dedicated consultants. And the city has the expertise in terms of, you know, what needs to happen on our street. And we also control the work plans for, you know, when is the street going to get repaved and that sort of thing. So, yes, the mayor's office was uh, kind of in charge of making sure everybody came to the table and we created a whole new process for how to engage with our council districts. Um, our council districts are key in Los Angeles if you're going to do anything different in a street. And they kind of lead the way. They have the, the real connections with the community as to like which businesses are going to be important to connect with. You know, who are the stakeholders who are going to really be key to a project being successful? So, um, yeah, we, we had to, you know, basically create a whole game plan of um, step by step. How do the city and our county agency, LA Metro, work together with all our levels of stakeholders to make these projects successful. And that took a few months, um, but we did come up with, you know, I think a little trial and error um, and come up with a, something that's worked repeatedly. So kind of once we figured out what this process was gonna be, um, really Metro and LADOT took the reins and um, they've just been churning through corridor after corridor and it's just been awesome to see. I love to hear that. I hope that can be repeated in Los Angeles. And then, as you mentioned, I hope cities around the country take take that model of uh, of engagement um, and also the the sort of uh, fiscal responsibility element of of bus lanes uh, and run with that. Uh, I would love to see so much more of that. Uh, and I want to zoom out for a second because uh, when we when we talk about transportation planning, transportation modeling, uh, very often the cars get modeled. Uh, you know, usually the transit gets modeled, um, but often what, what gets missed or what's, you know, what becomes a very high level estimate is the active transportation is pedestrians, bikes, sort of everything in that realm. Uh, when, when that's so critical, I mean, I, I, I proselytize that, uh, every, every, tra uh, transportation trip starts as active transportation. You know, you're, you're walking or roll into something, um, and so could you could you speak to how uh, how Los Angeles is approaching active transportation data? Because I know that's and that's an evolving world. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And I totally agree with that, that we we're pretty good at modeling what happens with cars on the streets. Um, we've spent a few decades putting in a bunch of sensors all over highways and streets. We have ways for cars to trigger lights. We have ways to count cars. We have electronic tolling mechanisms for car cars. We have all of these things for cars. And then when you ask people or any professional um, what's happening with people walking and biking and rolling and scooting, I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's often you, the answer you usually get. Uh, you are correct. We don't have great data. Um, so yeah, Los Angeles, uh, you may have heard from any of your previous guests or um, paying attention to what LADOT has been doing. We're really trying to focus on developing, um, you know, digital infrastructure. This has kind of been a, cha a challenge and a goal of LADOT um, under Salida Reynolds, the general manager. Um, 
so yeah, we we're working on some stuff. I don't think that anybody has uh, totally figured this out yet, but in my mind, I kind of have like a framework for how this could work. You know, similar to what you said, the goal would be to come up with a way to have measuring and prediction about walking and rolling kind of at the same level that we have for cars. Why shouldn't we, right? If we're if we're going to be building a future that's multimodal, we need to have the same level of information, the same level of knowledge, the same level of modeling for all the modes. And currently we don't. We've got this strong skew towards cars in what can be known about transportation. So for active transportation, walking and biking, those are the classic modes. We have some ways to know some things right now, and we're really working on expanding what those are and what they can do. So kind of, I think when you were talking, I was laughing to myself. I was remembering myself when I I was at my previous job uh, at Metro. I was a project manager working on a lot of active transportation projects. And um, I could not get my hands on data. And, you know, I, I can't. I can't inform projects. I can't make arguments for how to spend money if I don't have data. And so one of the things that I did several times is I would go to conferences and I would find these discussions of proprietors of data and I would say, sell it to me. I want to buy it. I work for a big agency. I run big programs. I need that data. Where's the walking and biking data? I will buy it. And they couldn't sell it to me. You know, it just didn't exist. So I was told that one of the big problems is that the data sets for walking and biking were not validated because the the data sets were so small. Our mode shares in our American cities are so small for walking and biking. You know, we're often looking at zero to 5% of, of mode share being walking and biking. And they couldn't validate it. They just couldn't be confident enough in, in that tiny share of data that it is what it was, that they, they couldn't say this is definitely what this is when we sell it to you and, and you know what you're getting and we know what you're getting. So something that I've been working on, you know, kind of since that point is helping our city to become its own owner of data, to mm. be a better partner to the data proprietors um, so that we can validate that data together. And then they can sell the big data sets to us because we can help validate it. So what that means is that cities are going to have to count people just the same way that they count cars. And that means deploying um, counters into our infrastructure system, uh, very similar to what we have to cars. And we've also you know, taken the first steps towards doing that. Uh, when I worked at Metro, I worked with our regional uh, MPO, SCAG, the Southern California Association of Governments, and we developed a active transportation regional database. So you know, the first step was creating a place for the data to go. And that's what that database is. Um, it's my understanding that SCAG is now working with Caltrans to maybe make that database uh, the statewide database, which would be huge. That would be a big win for everybody to have a standardized place for this data to go live. Because um, there actually is probably more data being collected out there, more counts of walking and biking than we can really get our arms around. But it's not collected in the same place um, when you go city to city or county to county. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's difficult to know what's out there. Um, so yeah, first step is centralizing and standardizing uh, the collection of data so that we can all pool the data together. Um, and then we have to increase, basically just increase your data points, right? Just keep counting. Um, and so LADOT is going to be working on that uh, very soon. Uh, we've been working with them on deploying a strategic array of counters across the city. Um, We're going to start with just a couple of dozen 
uh, for walking and biking counting and feed that up into the active transportation database and really just starting to scale. Um, that'll be the first step um, towards trying to do this at scale and then hopefully, you know, keep growing it um, as the years go on. And, and then what becomes possible when you have quality, validated, standardized data around uh, active transportation? What doors does that open? Well, I mean, ultimately what it allows you to do is, um, you know, put walking and biking projects on a level playing field with other pieces mm. of infrastructure when you're talking about how to, how to spend your money is really what it comes down to. Um, so when I was at Metro, I was a, a program manager for um, basically a, a countywide grant program where Metro would um, grant cities. There's 88 cities in an unincorporated county in LA County and Metro would give money to cities to build projects. <laughs> this program was maybe 15 years old when I was managing it um, in its last years before it turned into something else. And um, what I found fascinating is that for 15 years, we, were, we had been you know, giving money to cities. We, I think we estimated at one point, it was over $200 million worth of money that over the years Metro had um, you know, funneled down to cities to do projects at the local level with absolutely no information about what that was going to do to mode share, absolutely no, um, you know, projection of how many people walking and biking that was going to serve. Um, that would be unacceptable if that was a car project. If it was an automobile capacity project, the very first question you would answer is how many more people is this going to serve? Mm. Right? So, in the future, if we're able to say, if I build this project, this is the outcome that I expect. Um, that's the goal. That's the goal of data is to be able to say, you know, I think I'm going to build this bike lane here, this protected bike lane in my city. I'm going to close a gap in my bike network. And um, I can expect that that's going to have X result. And it's really amazing when you think about it, that we've basically been building on faith up until this point, we've been building because we know it's a good idea or we think it's a good idea, but we don't really have um, the tools to be projecting with, with certainty what's going to be happening. And certainly not for a multimodal world. We actually have no idea what's going to be happening if you start building, you know, like first last mile infrastructure. Uh, we don't actually have a good idea is, is first last mile infrastructure um, in a positive feedback relationship with the transit infrastructure that it surrounds are both going to benefit from ridership and usership if you if you build both. We don't have the information to answer these types of questions right now. Mm. Very cool. I, I look forward to the day when all modes are on that level playing field and held to the same standard um, and can be planned in coordination. So a, a, another another question I had Julia here. Here, as I've learned your story over the years, uh, you're definitely someone who inspires the work I do and the career that I want to lead. But I'm wondering who has inspired you during your time. Um, obviously, there's incredible uh, transportation innovators in the Los Angeles area, but um, e even beyond, like who who has inspired you? Who do you look to in your work? Oh, yeah, that's, um, thank you for that, Austin. It's um, honored, I'm honored to be an inspiration to people when I can. Um, so yeah, I think that for me, it changes all the time who I'm kind of looking at and, and being inspired by. And I just really love to see 
to see stuff happen. You know, so when stuff was happening in New York with Jeanette Sadek Khan, um, that was super exciting. And we were just, you know, following every move that they were making at New York DOT. Um, that was just awesome. And um, I think also really exciting. And I think you can already start to see um, strong leadership even through um, the COVID pandemic is Jeffrey Tumlin in San Francisco. You know, he's just, you know, a great human and has been doing this sort of work for a long time. And now that he's kind of back in the public sector and seeing what he's doing in San Francisco is really exciting. Uh, But it changes all the time. You know, and I think that anybody who's digging deep, making connections, and really just making those big changes, that's who's inspiring me at that moment. I mean, even within LA, like when when Conan Chung's team at LA Metro came up with Next Gen Bus Plan, like that was thrilling. There was a whole Wired article on him. I mean, that was great. Um, so yeah, I mean, Conan was my hero for a couple of months there when we were working on Next Gen Bus Plan. So um, really, it, it goes... Uh, you know, who's making big moves at the moment, that's who's inspiring me that day. I love it. I love it. I And I, you know, you mentioned New York City. And when you're talking about data earlier, a former New York City mayor, Michael Bloomberg, was famous for the, in uh, God we trust, all others bring data. And, um, you know, that that's, that's certainly what that example you gave, that these active transportation projects, if you don't have that data, it almost, it kind of reinforces that kind of almost like, secondary classification or secondary citizenship almost that like this is just we can't even make a logical argument if we don't even have the the base level information so uh, it's really uh exciting that that uh you and ladot are doing such great work to help on that front yeah no that's it (laughs) yeah we we can't even uh make these arguments if we don't have the data to start with exactly this has been such a fun treat to to get to understand your mobility story a little bit. I love the fact that that you're you're now doing this type of work, you know, helping to make it easier for people to ride transit and to ride bikes and to walk and so forth. And and that really was inspired to some degree by your own experiences growing up, which I think is is true for a lot of us. And uh, I can't wait to see what uh, great work uh, comes out of. Uh, the mayor's office there in LA with with uh, around transportation and with LA DOT because it sounds amazing and uh, doing doing great work. So thank you, thank you so much for joining us on the Movement Podcast and and Austin, thank you for for joining us as well. That was that was great to to have you as a part of this as well. My pleasure. And thank you both for having me. This is really fun. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, head to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can find out more at transloc.com or follow Josh Cohen on Twitter at CohenJP. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of The Movement.